we have the thought process of saving, 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 saving. We need to talk about investing. Whether you want to be a lawyer or an engineer, the stock market is something everyone should be aware of. You drive cars, you buy clothes, you fly in airlines and stay in hotels. If you're consuming, why not be a shareholder? We need to know what the opportunity cost of money is. When we're talking about stocks, what are the common mistakes people do? Not having personal knowledge and you want to get exposed to the markets no matter what. How does emotional intelligence plays in trading? It is the most important thing. If you have developed emotional strength, suddenly things become very believable for your psyche. And once they are believable, they are certainly achievable. Now the real battle begins. I know you're more into stock trading. Should you trade in cryptos? Karan. Hello, Ji. Happy New Year and welcome to Malsimal Punjabi. First podcast shoot for New Year. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure. I know we've planned this for a while and it was on the top of my calendar and I was looking forward to it. It's my first podcast of the year as well. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Good start of the New Year, right? Oh, absolutely. It's always great to talk to like-minded people and if you can reach people out there and even impact a single individual uh it's incredible i i go to sleep soundly thinking of the same money and finance right. uh <laughs> quite a bit of topics that um i feel indian culture stays away um Definitely. and there's a taboo that people say that okay we shouldn't talk about money we shouldn't talk about finance because it's a root of evil uh, mm-hmm. we should stay within our limits uh, what are your thoughts about that i actually think uh, i come from a household where we spoke of money in very benevolent terms from the very beginning and that eventually shaped how i viewed the stock market so essentially how your parents talk about money is so very important if for example your father says the stock market is a gamble it is one place we stay away from which often people speak of as for politics right so that's the viewpoint you develop as a child but if they speak highly of the stock market then that shapes the child's brain in a certain manner where they think okay this is a mechanism where i can make money provided i know what i'm doing naturally the data suggests a lot of people also lose money but if you know what you're doing if you follow certain steps you can and you certainly shall make money so i think indian households need to really catch up as far as money is concerned they want to discuss they should discuss return on investment how money really works what debt does to a person because the problem of debt is rampant in punjab itself the indebtedness of the farmer i mean this is an age old conundrum back in the 1870s punjab farmers were indebted and uh, the money lenders were lending at usurious rates so this is not something new at all and most of the reasons for money borrowing were not only for the harvest but also for a daughter's wedding for example because no matter mm. what amount of money you make you always end up overspending so i think if uh, the punjabi culture especially talks money more and is more transparent with it especially when dealing with family members as far as money is concerned and also um educates themselves i think it is going to be a game changing affair for everyone 
It's a good point that you just said that we end up spending more than earning. Right. And there's a common mistake that um, I think we all do is we have the thought process of saving, 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 saving. But at the end of the day, like the money that you put in your bank account, it's not your money. It's bank's money. Mm -hmm. They're, quote unquote, are gambling with your money. Yeah, makes sense. And the value that you save your money, it goes down. Certainly. So to overcome this issue, and I think we need to talk about investing, Mm -hmm. whether it be trading, stock trading, or any other sorts of investments. Right. So you see, I mean, uh, money always has opportunity cost. In India, uh, fixed deposits are very popular. So they are considered safe because they are pretty much backed by the government, uh, sometimes mostly by the bank. And you know, huge banks, uh, although they are liable to fail, but banks like SBI, which are backed by the government, might not fail. So Indians love going for their fixed deposits, which are which are yielding around 5% a year. Now, because the bank is giving you 5%, naturally, it's earning more on your money. It's investing it on the side, which mm-hmm. is what an insurance company also does. It has this huge amounts of money collected as premium. You know, some policies mature, they got to pay up. Some people claim their insurances, but the majority is not claiming their insurances. And therefore, there's a huge pool of money that has to be invested. So Mm -hmm. even if you're an insurance company, a bank or a small household, just the single unit of the society, I think knowledge of investing is incredibly important. And once you delve deep into this field, you tend to realize what your personality is. Do you want to invest for the long haul? Do you want to go for index funds? Or do you want to just stick with mutual funds, which tend to have higher expense ratios? So it really depends. And all of this germinates from the conversation. We need to talk money more. We need to know what the opportunity cost of money is because I might spend it on travel, an obscene amount of money, and that's going to give me a lot of value naturally as travel does. But that money also has opportunity cost. Perhaps I can travel more within my means and also invest my money. So that's a conversation that honestly, it's just very scintillating. So what advice you would give to a 20-year-old individual about money and finance? Right. I think um, this question can be answered if I think about what I'm going to do differently if I was 20 years old. I think I would certainly develop a curiosity of how money works and how the stock market works. I want to consume as much literature as I can on this topic. And there's some excellent literature out there. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is find good mentors. If you're interested in trading, for example, There's tons of individuals, especially in America, which are doing a marvelous job. Consuming their works, consuming their literature, consuming their podcasts. This is something that I would do on a consistent basis. And eventually, my mind would start to develop a holistic understanding of how money is working. For example, I also want to consume the works of Warren Buffett, who tends to be a value investor. And he tends to buy companies outright. He doesn't buy just stocks. He would buy the company outright. And then there's traders like Mark Minervini who trade, uh, who take massive positions in stocks for the short term. So I eventually would advise any 20-year-old to start learning 
as early as possible. And the best way to do that is to grab books, read anything and everything on finance, whatever piques your interest, go down that rabbit hole further. And eventually you will want to specialize. This is something that cannot be ignored. Whether you want to be a lawyer or an engineer, the stock market is something everyone should be aware of because eventually you're a consumer of goods produced by these very companies. You drive cars, you buy clothes, you fly in airlines and stay in hotels. One, one, if you're consuming, why not be a shareholder and also reap the benefits of the mm-hmm. company's prosperity? It, it is only uh, logical to do so. How did you get into stocks? Like, um, let's talk about your story. Right. Um, I was always intrigued in stocks. So even if when, when I was in school, I was, look at, I was looking at the economic times, trying to get a sense of how things work. Naturally, I was clueless. And which is where I think, again, my family comes in. My father mm-hmm. was always supportive of my interest in the markets, right? And he also believed that money can be made here, provided you know what you're doing. I think that foundation was incredibly important. And then I started reading the works of Warren Buffett and I just started putting money in the market. Randomly, I would buy stocks based on a very fundamental analysis of the company. If I saw a company around me, say Maruti, right? It's a very Mm -hmm. popular manufacturer of Indian cars. If I saw that company around me and if we enjoyed those cars, I'd buy the company. I'd uh, sometimes make money, I'd sometimes lose money, but naturally, that's how I got started with it. So I was in law school in Pune, and which whatever money um, I would get from home for my expenses, I would save a bit and put it into the market and see what's going on. So that's how I started. And eventually, I refined my understanding of the markets. I studied more. I learned more. And come COVID, I was primed to take advantage of the crash that followed. And uh, yeah, that was my journey in a nutshell. And it's been very scintillating throughout. So it started from a fundamental approach. And now I've uh, sort of gravitated towards a more technical approach when it comes to trading stocks. You actually answered one of my questions because I wanted to ask you um, what type of a trader you are. Now, for listeners who don't know what's a fundamental and technical uh, trading uh, methods, um, right. Just give them an overview of uh, these terminologies. Oh, certainly. So I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Fundamentals are more concerned with the quality of a company. We want to find out uh, how much debt a company has. If the earnings are growing, you know, does it do more revenue than the past year? Uh, if it's a restaurant, if it's a restaurant company or a movie theater, we want to find out if more and more people are coming in to watch movies, if more and more people are buying food and beverages at the theater. These are all fundamental attributes that tell you about the quality of a company. Another major aspect is the management. How good is the promoter? How passionate Mm -hmm. is he? he? Then there's the technical school of thought where you're not concerned about any of these factors. You're only concerned about the strength of a price, of how the price of a company moves. Is the price displaying massive strength or is it displaying weakness? Is the stock of a company, we don't care what the company is at this aspect, at this juncture. We are concerned whether this stock price wants to be bought into by institutional money. You see, you and I come to the market with $10,000, $15,000. That's a drop in the ocean. We have institutions coming in with millions and billions. These guys move the markets. What they are buying and why they are buying is the concern of technical analysis 
And uh, basically, that's the distinction between the two. A solid, sustainable approach is to combine the two. A lot of people like to combine the two. They call it techno-fundamental approach. So you want to buy solid companies, but you only want to buy them when they are looking very strong price-wise and they are primed to make a solid move, a rocket-like move in the coming future. So that, in a nutshell, is technicals and fundamentals. When we're talking about stocks, right? Right. What are the common mistakes people do for get-go? Um, when they start investing, I think the most common mistake is not having personal knowledge. You haven't educated yourself. Maybe your friend tells you to buy something. Uh, maybe your neighbors tell you to buy something. Maybe the market's going up consistently as it did after COVID and you feel a sense of FOMO. You fear mm. missing out and you want to get exposed to the markets no matter what. That is the first mistake that people make because out here, two things can happen. Either you will make up, end up making uh, quite a bit of money, in which case you will develop a false sense of confidence that you know what you're doing, which can be horrible in the long run, or you will absolutely get your hands burnt and you will shy away from the stock market in the future. Both of these situations are at the opposite ends of the spectrum and we want to avoid it. We want to jump into these waters with knowledge of how we want to swim, right? So when we've educated ourselves, then we dip a toe into the waters of the stock market because you see, the stock market is open every day, five days a week for life. It isn't mm -hmm. going anywhere as far as our efficient markets are operating. Therefore, it is never too late to start educating yourself and then exposing yourself to the markets. So somebody who is initially learning, right? But they also want to be exposed. They have all this cash in the bank and they're like, no, man, I just want to pump it into the market. Then they can, they can go for more passive instruments like index funds, which means now you have exposure to the market, but you are not actively picking stocks. You're buying an entire index, right? So you're basically mm -hmm. buying... S&P 500, you're buying the top 500 companies of America and not one individual company because the chances of all 500 companies failing is negligible and the chances of your one individual stock underperforming is pretty high. So educate yourself, grab certain books, find a good mentor. There's such good content on YouTube today. Um, I mean, it's, it's never ending and that's the first mistake people make is to not be educated enough when they are getting exposed to the markets. But I think it's really important to also um, get knowledge of right content. And I believe that there's so much content out there. I think people get overwhelmed of like, you know, which video to look at, uh, you know, what base level of knowledge you should have. Um, right. And then that's where like, you know, I think researching on... Uh, the right knowledge and investing with right brokers is also one of the key factors here. Right. You, that is such a, a great point, actually, because uh, I've been taking consultation calls. I've been guiding people get started. A lot of them tell me, Karan, we are ready to put in the work. We want to study. We don't want to gamble anymore. We're ready mm -hmm. to put in. We're ready to burn the midnight oil. Where do I begin? You know, a simple YouTube search will give me millions of videos. And which is why I, I think I've been shortening their learning curve tremendously. There are a couple of authors which have done an incredible job and you just gravitate towards them first, consume their literature and then move on. For example, authors like William O'Neill, he's legendary, right? 
Uh, he wrote this book uh, back in 1988, I reckon, and he only passed away the past year in 2023. Mm-hmm. He wrote this book called How to Make Money in Stocks. It's fairly simple. It's uh, easy to understand. And it discusses stocks in a way which has never been discussed before. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, he talks about demand and supply psychology. If you look at a chart of a stock, you want to find out whether the stock is being accumulated or whether there's no interest in it or whether it's being distributed. Naturally, when it's being accumulated by institutional money, that's when you want to buy the stock because this is a stock that is going to show some tremendous moves in the future or in the words of fundamental investors, it's going to be a multi-bagger. So you have William O'Neill who's done a marvelous job. A a person I I highly recommend people read his books is uh, Nicholas Darbus. He wrote this book called uh, How I Made $2 Million in the Market. And $2 million was a princely sum back in 1961 when he made this money. And he also um, wrote this book. The interesting thing about this gentleman is that he wasn't a full-time trader. So he wasn't in front of the screen. I mean, the screens didn't even exist back then in 1961. He was a full-time internationally renowned dancer. He would travel the world. And what his broker would do is at the end of every closing day in the United States, his broker would fax in the closing prices of stocks, whatever he was tracking. So manually, he would plot charts on a graph paper and undertake that exercise. And he ended up making $2 million in the stock market, which is a brilliant point to state that you don't have to be a full-time trader. You don't have to be in front of a screen. You can work your ordinary, normal job, whatever you do, no matter if you're a doctor, lawyer, uh, that doesn't matter. But even if you give it 15 minutes a day and some significant time over the weekends, you can make tremendous amounts of money in the stock market. And thirdly, there's this uh, author called Mark Minervini. He is Mm -hmm. legendary. He's a two-time U.S. investing champion, in fact, right? And he's written uh, three books. Uh, One is uh, basically about uh, fundamental analysis. The second one, which is in 2016, Think and Trade Like a Champion. This is mostly concerned with technicals. And the 2017 book, which is Mindset uh, Mindset Secrets for Winning, this is highly recommended to not only traders, but any, anybody who wants to super perform. Because almost everything, super performance is a mindset game. Michael Phelps has, has spoken of it. Kobe Bryant has spoke, spoken of it. Legendary traders are speaking of it. So this is something that's going to help you in life as well. And this is one book I think you should just grab already and read, read it uh, uh, cover to cover. It, it's honestly changed my life. Because you see, in trading, if you lose money, you not only uh, face financial losses, but you also face massive emotional losses. And that's one thing we don't want to do in life is to lose morale and confidence. Never do we want to make a certain bet. That means that we are always going to be scared of the stock market, which brings me to a brilliant point. We never want to make ruinous choices in the market. If we make a bet, which means either we could be a billionaire tomorrow or a pauper, That bet is not worth it because the risk reward is just not okay. In life, the analogy is we never want to make a bet or make a choice or a decision, which means either we lose our health or our freedom. We don't want to land up in the hospital and we don't want to land up in prison. And this is an analogy that you can use in trading as well. And I think uh, if you are uh, keen on becoming an excellent trader, you eventually become a more disciplined man as well, which is great. This is a great point that you just said, Um, and this is what I wanted to talk about in future is, I mean, and next is that 
when we talk about trading, there is a fear, right? And that fear causes us to make mistakes. Certainly. So how does emotional intelligence plays in trading? I think it's the most important thing. It is the most important thing. And there are two emotions that basically uh, enslave humans, and that's fear and regret, right? If a Mm -hmm. stock is rising, you might have regret of not buying it sooner. So you eventually decide to put your money into it, and then it starts falling. Now you are fearful as to what's going to transpire. So these two emotions are always tugging away at you, which essentially means that you are not thinking straight at any time of the day. And this is very interesting about trading. And this is something people don't realize. If I buy a stock at $100, it goes to $120. I'm sitting at a 20% profit. This is a great situation, right? I sell it. I'm happy I made 20%. But this stock doesn't look back. It goes to 30, 140, 150, right? Even though I made money, now I have tons of misery. Because I also Mm. lost out on notional profits. On the other hand, if I bought a stock and it fell, then naturally I'm miserable because I just lost money. So in both scenarios, there's tons of pain available in the market. So if you don't have a strong mind, you are not going to survive as a trader. You're going to get burnt out, which is why, in fact, a lot of hedge funds have in-house therapy now. Because to outperform the market consistently on a daily basis, month to month, can have a toll on you. And no matter how good you are, you are going to make horrible choices once in a while. To get back from this, to to be more resilient in life and in the markets, it takes a very strong mind. And it is certainly a daily exercise that you must undertake, which is why traders recommend you visualize every day. You know, a lot of traders, their pre-market routine, before the market opens, they sit at the chair, it's quiet, it's comfortable, and they visualize every scenario that could transpire in the market. When the market Mm -hmm. opens, your stocks could actually be 10% lower. Anything can transpire in the stock market. And once you visualize, how am I going to react if my stock is 10% lower? Suddenly, your brain is coming up with options. Okay, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to see for the first 10 minutes how the stock trades. I'm going to see whether there is some buying interest in the stock. This could be a shakeout. Okay, if it's 10% lower, I'm just going to cut my losses and see what I need to do again. Once you've visualized, you certainly have experienced every possibility that could go wrong, which means should things go wrong, which they sometimes would, you are prepared. Your brain is no more panicking which is something Michael Phelps speaks of. He says he's visualized every swim of his, every race. So this one time he had uh, water in his goggles and he could barely see anything. But he said he didn't need to see because he had already played the race over and over again in his head. He knew exactly how his arm is going to go, how the water is going to go by, right? So if you visualized it and if you have developed emotional strength, which of course happens uh, uh, over time, I think you can uh, make significant amounts of money. And should you face losses, you can bounce back quite nicely. There's a great thing that you just said about uh, visualization. Yeah. Um, is that you need to visualize every single day. And I know before even started the podcast, we, we talked about um, this particular thing is yeah. 
but let's just have like a common breakdown of you know not just for traders not just for like you know uh people in finance how should everyone visualize in their day-to-day life even if they're not um in, in a business environment not in like finance environment right i mean uh, let's just talk visualization as a daily practice it is so healthy um i've been visualizing for uh, 20 21 days now i do it every day i did it today as well there are a lot of techniques to this in fact um one technique is which is obvious you visualize your goals your end goal right if you want to be a massively successful trader you try and visualize how you're going to act how you're going to feel once you've made that amount of money but something that really helps me visualize is i not only visualize the end goal i not only think of my vision board i also think about the steps i'll need to take every day to get to that vision and that sort of makes it very believable for my mind you see i i also read somewhere that if you walk at walmart and if you go into the mirror and tell yourself oh i'm a billionaire your body is not buying it your mind is not getting fooled it knows you work at walmart but if you says if you say okay i want to visualize being a billionaire and these are the steps i'm going to take i'm going to come back read a book on fin- financial literacy i'm going to start saving something from my paycheck even if that paycheck is puny at the moment but eventually mm. i'm going to upgrade my skills so that i can earn a higher amount suddenly things become very believable for your psyche and once they are believable they are certainly achievable so visualize your, yourself conquering those daily habits conquering those daily goals which eventually leads to the larger goal because if we always have the larger goal in our mind the larger goal is so far into the future it can be very disheartening you might think hmm. i might not ever get there if you are let's say on the obese side of things and you're visualizing a very uh, slim body that slim body might be 5 years away so you're going to spend 5 years in absolute misery but if you just visualize the steps that's going to lead to that body then visualization becomes a very amazingly positive exercise because i'm visualizing turning up at the gym i'm visualizing pushing myself and these are things i can do every day and once i have a checklist that i can take okay i did it today i get a, a hit of dopamine in my brain you know my brain rewards me another aspect of visualization is popularized by this gentleman called dan co he runs a youtube channel which is incredible i highly recommend it he has something called the anti vision so try and visualize everything that you don't want right oh, you wow. don't want to be fat you don't want to be obese so you're not manifesting the horrible side of life you're just visualizing what you don't want to be because if you don't want to be fat now you want to think about ways to get fitter perhaps wake up for that morning walk and you're gonna end up going for that walk if the pain of not being if the uh, thought of not being fat is driving you if you want to grow up and play with your kids and sprint with your kids in the park which is such a lofty goal these days right if you mm-hmm. don't want to be sitting on the bench and telling your kids listen i just can't that's not a thought that you want to have right so right. start moving today so anyway he has a a, a concept called the anti vision and um Andrew Huberman also echoes his thoughts sometimes a, a similar concept 
So there's tons of tips for visualization, but the best way to start visualizing today is think about consistent steps you would take, right? Mm -hmm. And where they would lead. And secondly, visualize yourself doing them day in and day out. Because half the battle is in the mind. If you oh, visualize yeah. yourself waking up at 6 a.m. and you know your warm clothes are out there, so you just change into them and put your trainers on and you leave them, uh, leave the house immediately. If you visualize this before, there are chances this is going to get executed. And it works for me. It might sound like uh, something mystical, but it does work. And honestly, there's nothing to lose. Try it out. Yeah. Now that we talked about the emotional side of trading, let's move on to actually making money, right? So how would a beginner increase their stock portfolio? Um, honestly, um, a beginner should only increase their stock portfolio, get exposed to the markets if they have an idea of what they're doing. Because if you're a beginner and you have no idea about how stocks work and you just want to jump in there, get exposure through index funds. Buy as many index funds as you like. If the market dips tomorrow, if it has a period where it's not making you a lot of money, buy more of index funds. You know, get this massive amount of index funds in your portfolio. Keep them for the long haul. But the only way you should be... Um, increasing your exposure to the market is when your current exposure is giving you money. For example, uh, a lot of times traders wonder if the market is healthy or not. A healthy market is where stocks move as per plan. And the best way to find out if the market is healthy or not is to see how your current positions are running, how your past trades are running. Naturally, mm -hmm. if my past five trades have given me a loss, why should I go for a large sixth trade? I should do the opposite. I should dilute my holdings and find out what's going on. There can be two things going on. Either the market is unhealthy or my skills are not up to the mark. In this, if the market is unhealthy, I need to sit out, right? Wait for things to become better. And if my skills are subpar, I need to educate myself more. Maybe take a course with a legendary seasoned trader. Maybe read more books. Maybe watch more YouTube instead of Netflix. So you want to increase your exposure to the market based on the inputs that your trading journal is giving you. So naturally, every trader is required to journal their trades. Why you bought something, how much you bought, how much you made. There's a couple of columns. And also, if you lost money, what did you learn from it? If you sold at a particular point, why did you sell? What made you sell? So, you know, this is a rigorous exercise. It's incredibly boring, but it tells you so much information about your trading and your persona that um, you really are, are guided by your own data. For instance, if at the end of six months, you look at your data and you realize all your day trades have worked out nicely, but your swing trades have done poorly, then your data is nudging you towards day trading. Swing trading is a long-term trading, right? Swing trading is uh, basically where you, uh, from two days to three months to a couple of quarters, you want to okay. carry a position uh, for, a, for several weeks until you see a signal to sell. And of course, we have positional trading where you take deep positions in stocks for the long haul. And then finally, there's long-term investing where you just 
marry a stock, right? And right. swing trading is basically you're dating a stock, right? You're taking the stock out for dinner. Maybe you'll go for a drive over the weekend and then you're like, okay, this is not working out, tada. Or this was good. And uh, long-term investing is a marriage where you're like, okay, I want to make kids with you. Let's settle down. So basically that is a uh, swing and long-term investment. Two things that I would like to say is, this is what I've also learned, journaling, journaling your um, trading, past trading, because it will also get, you will also get to know what kind of a trader you are. I, I mean, yeah, trading will give you so much information. It, it'll also give you... Um, an idea of your average gain, right? So if you're making uh, 17% on average on, on your stocks, so when they rise from $100 to $117, $117, you end up selling. That's a 17% gain. If that's your average gain, naturally your average loss needs to be lower. Right. Now tomorrow if you buy a stock and you're actually earning 30% on it, that's far beyond your average gain. So you can let the stock fluctuate more than usual because your average gain is anyway covered. I mean, so much information about your trading, not only trading. I mean, if you hit the gym, it's always recommended that you track your lifts, how much you lifted, how many reps you got, what exercises you were doing. And if you have this data over several months, you get the truth of your gym gains, right? You know where to work whether you're making progress, what's going to help you make further progress. If you have no data, you're just swinging in the dark. And uh, honestly, right. every super performer is working with data. Uh, I mean, cricketers have tons of data about their stance and their bowling speeds. And, and the same with baseball players and basketball players. I mean, data is running everything. So what are the common differences between uh, US versus Indian stock market? I mean, personally, I've been exposed to both. I, I trade uh, the U.S. markets from my sister's brokerage account. She's based in uh, Houston, Texas. The thing with U.S. market is it tends to be more mature. It tends to be wilder in terms of its moves. So in Indian stock market, there's something called a circuit, which basically means if it's a cash stock, the maximum it can rise or fall in a given day is 20%. Right. No matter how much buying interest there is in a stock, it can only rise 20 percent and it can mm -hmm. only fall 20 percent. And naturally, this is there to safeguard retail investors, to safeguard amateur investors. I've seen some wild move movements in the stock market of the United States. I've seen stocks open 50 percent higher and also open 50 percent lower. So naturally, the U.S. market is more mature. If you're trading U.S. markets, you really need to be skilled. That's one difference that I've noticed all this while uh, between U.S. and Indian markets. And, and naturally, if you are good with technical analysis and you're good with charts and reading them, uh, you can pretty much trade any market. Uh, you can trade uh, commodities. So in India, uh, spices are traded quite heavily. You have jeera, turmeric, tania. All these are traded quite heavily in futures and options. And if you have knowledge of technicals, you can be around the world and trading any security as long as it's plotted on a chart. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I only know you can only trade. Well, I've traded in crypto. Right. And we'll touch on that also. But uh, I've I've traded with commodities and I've traded with um, cryptos and currency, foreign exchange currencies. I've never knew you can also trade in like uh, spices also. So it's a... Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite wild. And uh, 
So for example, if you buy one lot of jeera in India, uh, uh, cumin seeds, uh, right? Uh, it's going to be 100 kilograms. And if you don't square off your position, you can actually take physical delivery of this in Rajasthan. So uh, this stuff is uh, pretty interesting. And jeera went up quite a bit. Now it's corrected uh, back. But it went from 22,000 rupees to 66,000. That was quite a jump in Jira. And I made a video about it on my uh, Instagram, which people really enjoyed. And uh, most weren't aware that spices can be traded as well. Great thought process that I've uh, learned about today. Now, the real battle begins. Mm -hmm. I know you're doing stock trading. You're more um, into stock trading, right? Right. And I've done crypto trading and people have their bias about crypto trading, right? Right. Should you trade in cryptos? I mean, cryptos tend to be very volatile, incredibly volatile. You can have moves of 10, 15% easy uh, on a day-to-day basis. And there's a lot of people who believe in, in the technology, blockchain and stuff like that. I personally have never understood it deeply. And I have this rule that I don't want to trade something if I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, there's so much opportunity in Indian stocks and even stocks abroad that you can do without trading crypto. My third reason for staying away from crypto was that it wasn't regulated in India for the longest time. Yeah. You know, you, could, uh, you had so many uh, websites popping up which helped you trade crypto. And if you put money into their wallet withdrawing that money became a task and they had these massive fees on withdrawals and on trading and anyway there were like tons of impediments uh, to trading crypto which is why i shied away from it but that said if you think something is cooking something is looking interesting as far as your study of charts and technical analysis is concerned and if you think ethereum is setting up Uh, which is a term used by traders. If uh, Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever is setting up, why not trade it? If you think you can generate return on investment, sure, but you need to be very certain that the exchange or the platform you're using to trade uh, is, is very reliable as well. Because in India, I know if I'm trading stocks through, let's say, Sher Khan or Zeroda, or with my bank, you know, for Indian stocks, you need to have DMAT accounts, which are dematerialized accounts. I know my money is safe. It's not going to be wiped out overnight. But um, in, in the crypto space, a lot tends to be uh, pretty much scam, scam-like. scam If you know what you're doing, why not? But it is certainly something not everybody should delve into, which is what happened with NFTs, non-fungible tokens, right? You had these artworks selling for so much, right? And then uh, the prices were wild and people were trying to explain it to me what NFTs are and that they might have credence to them, but I certainly didn't get it. And now no one's talking about NFTs. Like they've uh, plummeted in price, right? I mean, so which, which just tells you, you need to trade what you know about deeply. Don't just get sucked into something because it is the trending theme. You need to uh, be certain because Warren Buffett loves to say, uh, I mean, uh, if you're buying a stock, if you're buying a stock of a company, it still has land. It still has factories. It still has machinery. You know, there are these are physical aspects that that are not uh, in the digital universe. Right. So it really depends uh, on what sort of generation you come from as well. I also grew up 
I was born in 1994. So there was not a lot of access to the internet, especially in India back then. We had dial-up connections, which were not reliable. So I am still old school. I still want to buy companies, the products of which I see around me. And honestly, money can be made everywhere. It can be made in crypto. It can be made in trading boring old stocks. You just need to know what you're doing really well and then keep doing it. So perfection comes from excessive, excessive repetition. And if you can get that done and if you can churn your money, generate ROI. I mean, people make money selling rare whiskeys, right? Doesn't right. mean you and I should start doing it. So people make money in almost every sector. You just need to know if you have the requisite set of skills to generate ROI. Great thing to say because um, you shouldn't go with a trend. Uh, yeah, yeah, there are people who go with a trend, but then they know what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, they've done their studying, they've done their basics, um, and that's how they move forward with that. Yeah. Great talk we had. We had we touched on almost everything that a beginner needs to know in stock trading. Yes. But before we end this podcast, what are some investment strategies that you would like to give to a beginner? I would say there are so many good ones out there. So uh, the Minervini strategy is the VCP, the volatility contraction pattern. The William O'Neill strategy is uh, the cup and handle. And the Davos strategy is the Davos box. While these are different names, the premise and the foundation of them all is a very keen insight into demand and supply psychology. So the best strategy, firstly, is a strategy that makes sense to you. And secondly, a strategy that makes you money. Naturally, you want to buy things that have more demand than supply in them because stocks eventually rise when they're in demand. That's what happened um, in United States with AMC. Uh, you know, um, this was like a meme stock. It was heavily shorted by institutional money and it blasted, right? So um, it just, uh, and then now it's back to where it began and it's not doing so well. But if you know what you're doing based on your demand and supply psychology, you don't need another strategy for life. So you must read these authors and then see what works for you. Does the volatility contraction pattern work? Does the cup and handle work? And we don't really need to memorize these strategies. We need to break them down and understand why they work, if they work at all. It is an incredibly intellectual pursuit. I mean, for somebody who's passionate about cars, he might buy a Porsche and break down the engine and see what really goes into building a car mm. that has just been the pinnacle of motoring, right? So for them, this is a great intellectual pursuit. So the best strategy is to develop a keen interest, study the grades, and see if you can break it down to a version which suits your personality because every individual is different. A mm. housewife trading in Japan has a different set of strategies than a 20-year-old in uh, United States of America. Both have different strategies. Both might be making money. So there's no one good strategy. It's really about studying uh, the giants who have come before you 
because we father we see father when we stand on their shoulders and we hope that some of their greatness trickles down upon us and then we can make something of ourselves thank you so much um yes. for coming on the show again and like i said earlier you know this is a great initiative um for people to learn about stocks and investing in yourself you know investing in finance investing in money learn about that because it will only help you grow and i know schools don't teach you about finance school don't teach you about yeah. money but it's right time to start thinking about it right now and start investing in yourself 